0: Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, What unprecedented times we are in, and this is uh, unusual for all of our lives to be in this time here in 2020, uh, facing the coronavirus and everything that it has brought. At the same time, we would all, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers um, of the Lord, we would all say God is still on the throne and he is in control, and we should not fear uh for this season of our lives if anything we should be seeking him asking him what would you have us to focus on lord what would you have us to get right and to ask the lord to go through our hearts and minds and say lord what would you want to do in this season some people have said well we believe that god is stripping away our idols he's taking away everything that we have given way too much focus on everything from bars and nightclubs to movie theaters and entertaining events sporting events they're closed, at least for this season. What a good time to remind ourselves of what matters most. So today as we, as we go through what our, our nation and the world is calling a crisis, how should we face this? What should we ask of the Lord? And more specifically, what shouldn't we ask of the Lord? My message today has a peculiar title, What You Shouldn't Ask the Lord. And I think you're going to find this very interesting. And as I poured over these passages, today will be from the Old Testament in Jeremiah. I'm learning certain things that God said, ask me or don't ask me. And I found that very interesting because it applies to what we're going through today. But first, would you join me in starting this time off with prayer, asking the Lord to be with us, asking the Lord to teach us, to to mold our hearts, that we would be tender toward him in whatever he wants to say and do in our lives. Lord Jesus, you are on the throne. We acknowledge you. Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for creating us. And we thank you that there is never a time where you are not in control. And yet, Lord, you have allowed our country, our world, to face something so uh, jarring and unusual. It has prevented us from going about just our daily lives. And, Lord, many people have suffered And Lord, we do lift them up and pray for them, God, that you would be with their families, that you would turn their hearts and minds towards you, those that are grieving the loss of loved ones. God, would you be with them? And as we go to your word this morning, Lord, would you teach us? Would you speak to our hearts, and would you have your way? We give you this time, and we ask you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take you back to the book of Jeremiah, but first, in context, I need to tell you a little bit of the, the history of Israel. Now many of you are familiar with this already, but just to refresh our memories, I'm gonna go back and do a snapshot of various events that happened in the life of Israel as, as, as Israel was developing the Canaan land, the promised land, and, and beginning to grapple with do they honor and serve God and worship him or do they honor and serve other gods? Israel was delivered out of Egypt. You, you'll remember that Moses was chosen by God to do that, to deliver them. He confronted Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And then they left Egypt, about two million Hebrews later to become Jews. They went through the wilderness for 40 years. Well, why don't they go through the wilderness for 40 years instead of going straight to the Canaan land? Because they were disobedient. It's like God said, I'm delivering you And as soon as they left Egypt, and when they left Egypt, they took the gold and silver and precious things from Egypt. Egypt said, we don't want you anymore. You've become a burden. Your God has put all these plagues on us. Please just leave. Take what you want and leave. And they left about two million of them. In the wilderness, they began honoring God. God parted the Red Sea. They went through. They rejoiced at God's deliverance. But soon after, they began to grumble and complain. It's hot out here. We're in the wilderness. We have next to no resources. Where's our meat? So God provided quail to eat. Where's our water? So God provided water for them. Where's our bread? God provided manna. He provided protection, and yet they still grumbled and complained. So after being patient and patient and patient, God finally said, okay, the generation 20 years old and up is going to die in the wilderness. We're going to go 40 years before the rest of you actually get to go into the promised land. By that time, Joshua led them into the promised land, and God, leading Joshua, allowed them to conquer pagan group after pagan group after pagan group until they took over the land, and God established them as a people and a nation, and then God blessed them. He blessed their crops. He blessed their animals. He he allowed them to be fruitful and to multiply, and he said, I am your God. Only worship me, and they started off doing that, but soon the Israelites began looking over their borders at the nations around them. They said, look at this parade over here. They have their own king. Well, we don't have a king. We want a king. God said, no, I am your king. Don't look to them. You look to me. And they said, no, we, we want our own idols. We want our own parties the way they're doing that. And they began to allow the pagan cultures to infiltrate Israel. God, in turn, began sending prophets to them, saying, come back to me, come back to me. This is not the direction I would have you to go. Return to me. I am the one who established you. I am the one that protects you, that blesses you, that created you. And Israel still says, no, we want these other gods. So at first, they didn't completely reject Jehovah, but they began worshiping him along with these other gods, and it made the Lord furious. After a while, God sent a prophet saying, because you have done this decade after decade after decade after decade, I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to discipline you. They had gone through the kings of Saul and David and Solomon and even went through kind of a civil war where Israel was split in half. The top half was still known as Israel. The bottom half was known as Judah and Jerusalem was located in Judah as their capital. So Jerusalem, as you know, is a holy city. It's the one that God established for them to seek and worship him. The temple was there. So the top half, Israel, worshiping other gods. The Lord allowed Assyria. Assyria came in and destroyed them, took over, established their own governors and leaders in in, in Israel for a season of their history. And the bottom half, Judah, did not learn a lesson from that. One of the prophets that continued to go, say, return to the Lord was Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a very hard job. None of us would ever want Jeremiah's job, even as prophet. Yes, the Lord spoke to him. Yes, he heard directly from God. But almost every message Jeremiah gave to the people was negative. It came in the form of a rebuke. Jeremiah said, you have departed from the ways of the Lord, and God is angry. He says, return to me, return to me. And yet I will still forgive you. I will still bless you. But the people did not. They got to a point where they threatened Jeremiah's life. He was known as the weeping prophet because he hated giving these messages. He he acknowledges that, even in Scripture. Lord, please don't have me give another one of these messages. The people hate to even see me coming. But yet when he did not give the messages, he claimed that, God, your words burn in my heart. I have to get them off my chest. Even when he did not want to go to the people with the Lord's prophetic messages, they would burn so much in his heart that he would have to get up and go deliver the messages. A very difficult job. Yet God's hand was on Jeremiah. Eventually, Judah, after decade, after decade, after decade, of still idol worship, of still uh, minimizing Jehovah. God said, do not worship me along with these other gods. They are not even real gods. You you have demeaned me. You have been rebellious to me. And I have been patient with you and sent prophet after prophet. When you go through the Old Testament prophets, almost all of them have the same message to Israel. You have been rebellious. God loves you. You are his people. Return to him. God went so far as to tell Israel, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen to you if you do not return. And yet they still did not listen. They still did not listen. Jeremiah told them, God is going to allow Babylon to swoop in and take over this country. He's going to come to the very walls of Jerusalem and, and crush and burn the city if you do not return to the Lord. And yet they still, in their hardness of heart and their rebellion, would not listen. So eventually, Nebuchadnezzar came in to Judah. He he took over the villages around Jerusalem first, and when he got to Jerusalem, I have to describe something about Jerusalem to you. Jerusalem was on an incline. I've been there myself in Israel, and back then they had a large stone fortified wall all the way around the city. And so the surrounding villages, in times of trouble, they would run into the city, uh, blockade the gates and the doors, post guards and, and in, uh, uh, arrows at the, at the top with their javelins, arrows, swords to protect the city. So here comes King Nebuchadnezzar with his huge army. And as they approached, Israel saw them coming. And so they went and got everybody and they ran into the walls of the city with, with as much water and food as they could, they could grab. Now remember, all of the fields and crops and the flocks are still outside the city in the field. So here comes Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar did something very strategic. He did not initially attack Jerusalem. He knew they were well fortified. He knew they had resources in there. He knew they had guards posted all the way around the city on the walls. So this is what he did. He placed encampments around Jerusalem far enough away where they couldn't shoot or attack him and he allowed his men to cut off the water supply that would flow into Jerusalem cut off all the land sources where the people inside the walls of the city could not go get their, their flocks to, to cook and eat. They could not go to their gardens, to their fields and get food. And then Nebuchadnezzar waited. You see, his, his Babylonian soldiers were eating off the land. They were cooking and eating the animals. They had access to fresh water. And in the meantime, they built their siege ramps. They built their Um, battering rams, and they waited. And as the days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, Jerusalem started to run out of resources. The people couldn't leave for fear of death, for fear of capture. Opening the gates meant that Babylon would come in. So Babylon waited them out, eating all of their resources. And eventually, when the Israelite soldiers were so weakened, and famished and the people starving inside then they rolled up their battering rams and their siege ramps they came over the top of the walls came through the gates took over the city and scripture is very clear about what happened god allowed babylon because of israel's idolatry because they were sacrificing their children to these false gods because of their immorality god allowed babylon to come in and kill Almost all of them. 4,600 in total over the times that Babylon would deport and take people captive. 4,600 people, uh, Jeremiah 52 says, were eventually taken captive and taken back to Babylon. 4,600. 4,600 people would, 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 would uh, you could carry them on a large cruise ship today. That's not a lot of people. The rest, they killed. They killed the officials, they killed the priests. And it didn't matter what economic uh, level you were at. They killed, you know, children. They killed wives. They killed everybody in the streets of Jerusalem, only taking forty-six hundred away, and then they left the fewest people that weren't even in the city, that were poor, that uh, really served no danger to Babylon. They were weak. They were poor. And so when Babylon finished destroying the city, they took all the wealth out, they killed the people, and once they had gotten everything they wanted to take back to Babylon, they burned the city and collapsed the walls. Jerusalem was left in ruins. And again, only the poorest people were left. Babylon left a governor, now that they had taken over the land, Babylon left a governor, his name was Gamaliel, left him to oversee with a few guard, to oversee the poorest people. And some scholars believe the people left in Israel after this massive attack and destruction and after the Babylon army had left. They think there was about 2,000 Jews left. 2,000 Jews. And they were the poorest, they were the weakest. The reason Babylon left them alive was they said, we want you to replenish the fields and the vineyards for us, so you're the workers. Yes, you can live off that, but you have no army, you have no fortress anymore, and you serve the governor of Babylon that is left here in Judah. What a horrific time. What a crisis for the people that God chose for himself. And again, people say, how could God allow that to happen? Well, the reason he allowed it to happen is because of their continual wickedness. Again, decade after decade after decade after decade, God showed amazing patience. And yet Israel hardened their heart and said, we will do what we want to do. We might give you a passing glance, God. We might show up on the Sabbath to temple and acknowledge you. But during the week, we're doing whatever we want to do. We're acknowledging all the other gods we want to acknowledge. And God said, I will not have that. So after calling them back, calling them back, calling them back, calling them back, he finally said, Babylon, you can have your way with my wayward wife. So uh, Jeremiah was initially taken captive. Initially, he was taken captive. When the captain of the guard realized who he was, that he was the prophet that had accurately prophesied what would happen, and that his God truly spoke to him, God gave him favor in the eyes of Babylon, and they let Jeremiah go. They said, you can stay here if you want to with the other captives, or you can head back to your homeland, but there's nothing there. Jeremiah chose to go home. So this is what I want to share with you first. This is a summary of God's feelings during this time. Now you and I tend to have a very selfish view sometimes when we read scripture because we read it from our perspective. How would I have felt? What does this mean for me? And you should do that to a degree. What does this mean for me? But this time, I want you to read this from God's perspective. I'm going to start in Jeremiah 32. I'm going to read verses 28 to 35. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will hand this city over to the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will capture it. The Babylonians outside the walls will come in and set fire to the city. They will burn down all these houses where the people provoked my anger by burning incense to Baal on the rooftops and by pouring out liquid offerings to other gods. Israel and Judah have done nothing but wrong since their earliest days. They have infuriated me with all their evil deeds, says the Lord. From the time this city was built until now, it has done nothing but anger me, so I am determined to get rid of it. Imagine that. God's saying of Jerusalem, I am determined to get rid of it. He loved Jerusalem. That was the holy city. That was the place he chose to have his temple and his people worship him. And now he says, I am determined to get rid of it. Why would God get to that point? Because of the rebellion and wickedness of the people. Let's keep going. This is verse 32 the sins of Israel and Judah, the sins of the people of Jerusalem, the kings, the officials, the priests, the prophets. Those would be false prophets. They have stirred up my anger. My people have turned their backs on me and have refused to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction or obey. They have set up their abominable idols right in my own temple, defiling it. They have built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of ben Hinnam. And there they sacrificed their sons and daughters to Molech. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah and and Israel to sin so greatly. Now, let me point this out here. This is not the the main point of my message today. But reading these verses, saying they sacrificed their sons and daughters to Molech. When a baby was born, they would take it to this god Molech and they would burn their own innocent children in the fire to this false god. And God says of this, I never commanded this horrible deed, he calls it a horrible deed, it never even crossed my mind to command such a thing, what an incredible evil. If God calls that an incredible evil, what does he think about what our culture's doing? Saying, well, we're choosing our rights. My body, my right, my choice. What would he think of that? Still murdering the innocent. 60 million, by the way, in America. Babylon surrounded Jerusalem, cut, cut them off, and, and, and as I said earlier, came in and, and took them over. Okay, so those are God's feelings toward the people at that time uh, that were just continually rebellious. So Jeremiah is released. Now, I have to bring you up to speed on what happened next. The governor I mentioned that Babylon left in Israel to watch over this remaining few thousand people to, for the vineyards and the, and the, and the, um, the fields, really, to, to get them flourishing again for Babylon. There was a few rebellious view, uh, Jews who said, we don't want anybody from Babylon here, and they assassinated that governor. The rest of the people, the rest of the 2,000 people, freaked out. They said, wait a minute, Babylon just left From annihilating all of our relatives, burning down Jerusalem, they leave a governor and a few guards, and you've just killed him too. What do you think the king of Babylon's going to do when he hears about this? So they freaked out and they said, we don't have protection. There are no more fortified cities. There are no more walls to hide behind. We're we're exposed. We don't have an army. We're we're poor farmers. What are we going to do now? And remember when I said, Jeremiah was released? Here comes Jeremiah. And so they see him coming and they rush to him and they say, Jeremiah, what are we gonna do? Should we, should we flee to Egypt? Yes, we'll flee to Egypt and we'll beg them to take care of us. You know, at least they have some protection that they might give us. They said, Jeremiah, please, ask God what we will do. And, and whatever God tells us to do, that's what we'll do. Keep that in mind. So I'm gonna now jump to Jeremiah chapter 42. And I need you to hang with me here because this is we're getting to the main point of this message. I'm now going to read from Jeremiah 42 verses 2 through 22 and listen to the people as they approached Jeremiah who's now back from being captive. So it's Jeremiah and about 2,000 of the poorest people in Israel. The people said, Jeremiah, pray to the Lord your God for us. As you can see, we're only a tiny remnant compared to what we were before. Pray that the Lord your God will show us what to do and where to go. All right, Jeremiah replied, I will pray to the Lord your God as you have asked, and I will tell you everything he says, I will hide nothing from you. I'm not hiding anything. They said to Jeremiah, may the Lord your God be a faithful witness against us if we refuse to obey whatever he tells us to do. Whether we like it or not, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you with our plea. For if we obey him, everything will turn out well for us. Now, that's true. That's true. If you obey the Lord, it will go better for you than it would have otherwise. Not to say it will be easy, but walking with the Lord is always the better choice. So again, let's look at what's going on. The remaining people are exposed, no protection. The governor has been killed. They ran off the assassin. Jeremiah comes back. They say, Jeremiah, we're scared. When Babylon hears that we've killed the governor... He's just going to send the army to wipe the rest of us out. Should we flee to Egypt? Pray to God, ask him what to do, and whatever he says, that's what we'll do. So Jeremiah goes. And it's interesting here that God did not answer Jeremiah to give them his response for 10 days. 10 days. Why? You see, the people were so anxious and fearful. They said, surely God's going to tell us to go back to Egypt for protection for resources, for help, and we will fall on our face before them and say, Egypt, help us. Oh, protect us. That's what they were thinking. So God waits another 10 days, which no doubt made them even more anxious. What's taking him so long? What's God doing? And then Jeremiah comes back with God's answer. So let me read you what God says. And this is, we're getting to the main point of my message today. This is after 10 days. Jeremiah returned and gathered all the people together. Now I'm going to start in verse 9. Jeremiah 42, verse 9. Jeremiah said to them, You sent me to the Lord, the God of Israel, with your request, and this is his reply. Stay here in this land. If you do, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you for I am sorry about all the punishment I have had to bring on you. Do not fear the king of Babylon anymore, says the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and rescue you from his power. I will be merciful to you by making him kind so he will let you stay in your land. Okay, is there any better response you could have wanted from God? Think about this. If you were one of those 2,000 Jews left, you're fearful. Again, you have no protection, very minimal resources, no army. And you think somebody's going to come kill the rest of you, but God himself says, no, stay here, relax. Honor me, tend to the land. I will give you favor in the eyes of the king of Babylon. He will be kind to you. You'll be allowed to stay and live in your own land. I will bless you and watch over you. I will build you up and not uproot you. That is the best-case scenario. But God continues because there's a twist coming here. God continues, and this is what he says, but if you refuse to obey me, and if you say, no, we can't stay here, we will go to Egypt where we will be free from war and famine and disease and hunger, then hear the Lord's message to you, remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you are determined to go to Egypt and live there, then the very war and famine that you fear will catch up to you, and you will die there in Egypt. That is the fate awaiting every one of you who insists on going to live in Egypt. Yes, you will die from war, famine, and disease. None of you will escape the disaster that I bring upon you there in Egypt. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Just as my anger and fury have been poured out on the people of Jerusalem, so they will be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. You will be an object of damnation, horror, cursing, and mockery. You will never see your homeland again. So listen, Judah. Do not go to Egypt. Do not forget this warning I've given you today. For you were not being honest when you sent me to pray for the Lord your God. This is Jeremiah talking. He says, you weren't being honest. You said, tell us what the Lord says, and we will do it. And so I've told you exactly what he said, but you will not obey the Lord your God any better now than you have in the past. So you can be sure that you will die from war, famine, and disease in Egypt where you have already determined to go. So what happened here? God gave them the best-case scenario to stay and be protected and blessed by God or to go to Egypt for the worst-case scenario where war, famine, and disease would catch up to them in God's wrath for disobeying him. What do you think they chose? They chose Egypt. Now, this is the main point of my message. You know, most ministers, when they preach, have a number of points, at least three points in a poem, I have one main point, point, and here it is. Do not go to the Lord for guidance when you have already determined in your heart what you're going to do. Do not go to the Lord for guidance when you have already determined in your heart what you are going to do. In other words, the people said to Jeremiah, Ask the Lord what, what to do, and we'll do whatever he says. But they had already determined, We're going to Egypt. In other words, we're just hoping that God tells us what we already want to do. Is that acknowledging God for who he is? Is that acknowledging him as the one that sits on the throne, the God of the universe, the Lord of heaven's armies, the one who is omniscient and omnipotent and knows your future? That's minimizing God when you say, God, I've already determined what I'm going to do. I just want you to agree with me. That's what the people of Israel did. So those 2,000 people, and only a few, stayed. Jeremiah didn't want to go. Only only a a few people survived this, and of course later the the captives from Babylon would come back and reestablish Israel. But those 2,000, they went to Egypt, and there they died. See, God brought Babylon down to conquer Egypt as well a little later. So they had to go through this torment twice. The people that rebelled against God in Jerusalem had to watch Jerusalem be taken over and burned. Their relatives die. And then they did the same thing by fleeing to Egypt. Twice they did something foolish. So here's my point. In a crisis, what are we to do? Yes, God gives us common sense. Yes, God gives us doctors and uh, medical teams. Yes, God gives us governors and leaders. But at the same time, when it has to do with you, When you seek the Lord, do not say, God, this is what I'm going to do. I just need you to agree with me. Don't go to the Lord if you've already determined what to do. So if I could apply it to other areas, I would say, young person, the person that you want to date, don't say, God, should I be dating this person or not? If you have already determined in your heart what you're going to do. Businessman, don't, don't go to the Lord and say, should I give this much of my money or tie this much to the Lord? Don't ask God what you should do if you've already determined in your heart what you're going to do. Even minister, minister, missionary, don't say, should I go over here and do the work you're calling me to do if you've already determined in your heart what you're going to do. To acknowledge God for who he is, to, to give him the glory and the worship, the praise and the obedience that he deserves is to hold these issues like this. And especially in a time of crisis like our country is going through right now with COVID-19, whatever way you've been impacted, your health, your relatives, your money, your employment, whatever it is, to say, God, I want to do what you would ask me to do. I want to get my heart right during this season. I want to get my house in order. I want to get my health in order. I want to get my relationships in order. And Lord, would you help me not to fill my day sitting on the couch watching entertainment after entertainment after entertainment? Lord, would you help me to seek you and to say you are the one that knows the future of this whole situation. You are the one that has all success, health, guidance, um, rebuke, judgment in your hands. So Lord, I'm seeking you. And whatever you say is what I will do. It is for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to say, Lord, I'm not the Lord you are. So Lord, I'm asking you to make my heart tender, to make my heart moldable, to go through all the rooms and corridors of my heart and point out things you need me to do some deep cleaning in. Every closet, every room, the attic and the basement. God, would you help me to get my affairs in order? And so when I hear you and, and, and obey I will be in your will. I will be walking in your favor. That's what you and I both want. So when God says don't tell me you need an answer for me when you've already determined in your heart what you're going to do. Again when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your arena, your world, your relationships to say God I put them on the altar. I will do whatever you ask me to do. That is a sign of truly following the Lord. And there are no prerequisites for the Lord. There's not, God, I'll do this if you already agree with what I want to do. God, whatever you want to do. And what did God tell Israel? Those 2,000 people. If you stay here, if you obey me, it will go well with you. It didn't mean easy, but it will go well. But if you disobey me, everything you fear will catch up to you. None of us want that. So I'm going to to end with three verses that have ministered to me and reminded me that God's in control in this time. I'm going to even admit to you I have struggled during this coronavirus season. The investments I made in the market have been terribly hit. The businesses that I had on the side have been terribly hit. The projects we had to develop as Kendrick brothers, even doing the movies, have all been canceled. Speaking has all been canceled. Everything was put on hold. So after that jarring moment in our lives being impacted, we huddled together as a family, and we said, okay, we gotta calm down. Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. This is a temporary life, but God, we wanna be right with you. So individually, I said, God, what do you wanna say to me? I'm gonna get in your word daily, I'm gonna pray daily, I'm gonna to try to lead my family daily. We do daily devotions as a family, not legalistically, but just seeking the Lord, praying together. God, what would you have us to do? And so the Lord has worked. The Lord has brought our family closer together, and yes, there are times we get tired of being around each other, but uh, the Lord has brought our family closer together. He's reminded me of what matters most, not business, not finances, not um, having a, a platform all the time, Uh, our walk with him, our obedience to him is what matters most. And then when you get all those things back in line, there is a refreshment that comes from that. And yes, some of you are facing the health issues of coronavirus. Some of you know people that have lost their lives to the coronavirus and it is terrible and horrific. At the same time, this is when if ever we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? Would you help me get my affairs in order? Would you help us as a people to seek you and keep you in first place? So these are the three verses I want to share with you. The first comes out of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 29, 13. This is one of my favorite verses. I've given it many times. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The Lord says, you will seek me and find me When you seek me with all your heart. So the key verse there, key part of that verse, with all your heart. Again, after everything that we've read, after everything I've shared with you today, don't go to the Lord and ask for something when you've already determined what you're going to do ahead of time. Don't ask him. It'd be better to go with an open heart and ask him what to do. And when you do, do it with your whole heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you are familiar with this verse also in the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Again, this is not a promise that everything will be comfortable. It is a promise that he will show you the path that he wants you on and the best place to be is where God wants you in the center of his will but again the first part of that verse trust in the Lord with all your heart not part of your heart not contingent on if he agrees with you it's with all your heart the final verse James 4 8 James 4 8 from the New Testament draw near to God and he will draw near to you do you want to hear from the Lord draw near to him he he says in these verses I want to be found I will allow myself to be found when you seek me with all your heart. When you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. We have to remember our faith is not just about us and what we get out of it. Ultimately, our faith is about honoring and glorifying the holy God who already runs the universe. The holy God that created us and knows us and loves us more than we know ourselves or love ourselves. That's the God we wanna please. So, today, I hope this reminds you in, in a time like this, even though Jeremiah is a tough book to read, there is encouragement we can get out of it. God loves you, He's in charge, He wants you to seek Him, and He will be found when we do. Would you pray with me as we end our time together? And when we finish, I, I, I hope and pray that this season, though jarring and uncomfortable and fearful at times, will end up being a season we look back on and we see growth. And we see a time of intimacy with the Lord that we've not had before. And even the church, as we all gather back together in the walls of a building here or there, is not just about us gathering together, but we come with hearts that are renewed and refreshed to seek the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are indeed the Lord of heaven's armies. You are the same God that spoke to Israel all those years ago as you are today. You love us. You want us to seek you, to worship you, to obey you. You want what's best for us, God. And Lord, our hearts are right when we want to please you. So I ask that every person that's watching this, every person that's listening to this message, God, would you have them to check their own heart and to say, God, help me get away from anything that is making my heart calloused, and wanting to turn away from you, and Lord, even if I'm not real interested in seeking you Lord, you, Lord, would you would you stir my heart up where I am interested once again to seek you, God? Anything that's in my life that displeases you, would you point it out, Lord, and convict me, where I say yes, Lord, I will I will deal with all of these things in a manner that pleases you. So that at the end of all of this, Jesus Christ is glorified. Father God, you are you are uh, pleased and acknowledged, and may our lives reflect the holy God that we worship and serve. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.